welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana, a partner in Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. And welcome to Tech Law Talks and our podcast series for private equity firms on how private equity firms can maximize the value of their portfolio companies through effective management of technology and data risks. Today, we are joined by Gary Bartabo from Cross Country Consulting, Catherine Castaldo, a tech and data partner at Reed Smith, and Sheik Shah, a senior associate in the tech and data group at Reed Smith. Today, we will focus on why private equity firms should proactively manage tech and data risks of their portfolio companies. Welcome team. So Gary, why don't I direct the first question to you? You know, obviously this is something that is, I think, front and center for a lot of people, but what are the main technology and data risks that would impact a portfolio company valuation? Anthony, thanks for the question. It's great to be with you here on, on Tech Law. My first time participating with you. Really happy for the opportunity. Look, let me just frame this around for three major risk consequences that we talk to our clients about being, being concerned with. The first there is just the financial consequence of, of a risk of a cyber attack with a tech or data flavor. And that, that's quite obvious. That's a loss of value of a company. The second that we talk about is is the operational impact. And that can have a financial consequence. But what we talk to our clients about is, look, there's a cyber attack on your business. Your systems can go down. You can't engage your customers. You can't generate revenue. There's a period of time where essentially your, your operations are shut down. And that's obviously something to be worried about. And then the third piece that people often forget about is just the reputational impact of these things, which can be really hard to measure. But we see cyber attacks, breaches, data leakage, make it into the public domain, and investors, customers, clients increasingly savvy about who they're going to do business with, uh, where they're going to put their money. If they don't trust that uh, that technology and data is locked down, they may think about going somewhere else. So we always start just talking about the financial, operational, and reputational consequences of not doing this, this well, not doing security around technology and data well. What does that mean in reality? I would say, look, the first thing companies need to be doing is making sure that their crown jewel assets are locked down. So whatever is uniquely valuable to a particular business, whatever is is the secret sauce of a portfolio company, maybe it's intellectual property, maybe it's customer data, maybe it's proprietary technology that's being built in-house, those critical assets are the first thing that you have to worry about from a risk perspective. And we worry about just what are the operating systems that kind of let a company run? Like I said, if those things go down, if business is taken offline, can't generate revenue, can't engage your customers, there's a loss of value there. And then as I also said, you, you really want to make sure as both a private equity fund and a portfolio company that you don't have a breach that gets into the public domain, because that's when you're going to start to see limited partners going, ah, is that a fund where I can, I can park my money? Are they doing the right things with their portfolio companies? Are their portfolio companies taking these risks seriously? And then just a couple of examples of what we see portfolio companies struggling with. One is ransomware. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's not just the big companies that are getting hit by this. Um, we talk with funds and portcos all the time about, hey, we just got ransomed. What do we do? How do we bring our systems back online? Do we pay the ransom? That's out there. It's not going away. 
phishing and social engineering, people still click the wrong links. People still get fooled by LinkedIn messages or Twitter or Facebook messages. These are easy gateways for attackers. And then the big one now is, is, is third-party ecosystem, the supply chain. Adversaries will go after ubiquitous software that's running on the networks of hundreds of companies, big and small, and through one attack can really cascade bad consequences across anybody that's running different software. So that's a little bit about how we think about the risks, kind of strategic and more micro level, and the impact on valuations. Yeah, uh, thanks, Gary. And Kat, I know you spend a lot of time uh, in your practice on advising private equity companies when they're acquiring companies or whatever, where you're doing the due diligence. And you see lots of gaps in tech and data issues and how it impacts them. So could you just give a little color even there when you've in your experience in terms of how not managing tech and data issues at the portfolio company level can impact, you know, how a deal happens? Can they sell the company? Certainly, yeah. We see a lot of that. Not only do we see data incidents, security incidents and data breaches happening even right in the middle of the transaction where the company's either being acquired or sold, but we also see a significant issue with a number of um, portfolio companies not having any of the proper infrastructure in place to help manage that risk. So while the private equity company might be regulated at a different level, a lot of states now have comprehensive laws that have no exceptions for companies that are engaged in financial services or companies that are engaged in other industry-specific laws that would be um, applicable at the federal level. So Things like the Massachusetts Security Standards, the New York Shield Act, uh, certain aspects of the California laws, um, depending on the size of the company, certainly have requirements, specific security requirements that aren't being met by a lot of companies that get uh, reviewed in, in the processes that we do. So from a valuation perspective, that's always a, um, it is a risk. It's a risk, particularly if um, with the look back periods that um, the regulators can have, or if an event happens and they're deemed to be um, you know, insufficiently managed that's a problem for them as well. So um, it, is, it can impact both their evaluation and the ability for the transaction to move forward. And, and I think, you know, Kat, I think we've, we've seen this as well. Like I think a lot of these portfolio companies, sometimes they're a little smaller. They don't necessarily have the resources. They probably don't have a private, a privacy council or even sometimes even a CISO and like. So I think this is where the portfolio companies have the resources in essence to help them, right? And I think you've done that in, in various aspects. Could you just give a little, a flavor of sort of some of the stuff that you've done for portfolio companies at the behest sure. of private equity companies? Yeah, and some, just to go back to the security standards, in some of them are pretty straightforward. You know, having a written policy, having someone designated to do, to be in charge of security and someone, you know, responsible for training. A lot of that stuff can be outsourced. So, we do see a lot of the smaller companies with the individuals that are uh, present at the company, sometimes the founders wearing a lot of different hats, you know, sometimes the CFO and the GC are the same person, or you know, <laughs> there is no security person except for the ways they've contracted for certain services. So even with that, though, they, there are things that they can do um, just to meet the basics. And that's really about starting to understand the kind of data they're managing, the ecosystems they're operating in, where those data relationships are. And that can go a long way towards providing the um, insulation and some of the baseline compliance metrics that they need. And Sheik, what have, what have you seen in terms of either private equity firms proactively or maybe effectively proactively doing this or even, you know, probably what we see more of where it's not being done and the portfolio companies 
do have issues, whether it's a data breach or during the transaction, things are exposed. What have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Anthony. You know, I think historically, when we talk about tech and data issues in the private equity space, we consider it more from the security perspective. Um, you know, as Gary and Kat have both pointed out, there are significant considerations on the security side. But I think what we're seeing growing over time is, you know, building on what Kat said about state data protection laws is this risk of privacy compliance. Privacy compliance is an increasing risk, whether you consider the potential for regulatory action, for non-compliance in the many jurisdictions that have enacted uh, data protection laws, both in the U.S. and internationally, and the litigation risk where consumers have the ability to bring a private right of action. Uh, assessing these risks, I think, is a multifaceted approach, kind of depends on the risk profile of the various port codes. But what sort of policies do the, do the companies have in place related to privacy? Are there external facing documents that are up to date and accurate? Uh, these are quick things that potential partners, buyers, and even regulators can look at to determine um, how mature a, a port code's privacy program is. And I think when you look at that in conjunction with all the security considerations that Kat and Gary have pointed out, kind of have a direct impact on the overall port code's risk profile. I would just add to play, to, to, to play off of that too a little bit is one thing that's in particular concern during these acquisition phases is that sometimes the, the company that's being acquired doesn't actually meet the threshold for the law to apply either in the privacy or security space because some security laws do have a minimum threshold requirement. We can take, for example, like DFS's small business compliance initiative, which is a very small approach, kind of like more like Massachusetts or uh, GLBA's smaller business approach with the safeguards rule. But once they get folded into the larger organization, suddenly they need to be up to the ability of that large organization's compliance requirement because they now have a combined revenue over the threshold or a combined number of customers over the threshold. So much of this too is tone, tone from the top from the PE firm of sending a very clear message to the existing companies in the portfolio. Hey, cybersecurity, privacy, privacy compliance, is important. It's important to us at the fund level, at the firm level, and, and sort of sending the message to Portco management that, hey, spending a little bit of money in the, the, this area is probably smart because that's a lot of what we hear from the Portcos is, look, look, we don't know. We don't think the firm wants, the fund wants us to spend on this stuff. They want us to spend on growing the business. And then even sometimes the PE firm saying, well, how much should we really be spending? So a lot of this is just helping the PE firm say, hey, based on the composition of your portfolio, what's kind of the right level of general spend and kind of minimum controls and compliance you want to ask your portfolio companies to manage. And then the obvious thing is that Kat was getting to starting to build some of this into diligence, right? Yeah, yeah you're going to go, you're going to go out and make a deal. Cyber privacy should all be part of a technology diligence process that goes right alongside a financial diligence process where I think a lot of the focus is. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously one of the things that that is is new is some of the new uh, SEC requirements that may impact some private equity firms that are that are public companies. So, Gary, would it what would you advise for those private equity companies? Are they are they sort of more at risk here with their port codes not being up to snuff in essence with technology and data issues? Well, I, I think they are, and I think the 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 regulations 
are obviously right now for public companies. So that's not all PE. What's interesting is there's other tranches of SEC cyber-focused regulation still in the comment period that would affect all market entities. It would affect everybody covered by the Investment Advisors Act. So this May, a year from now, we may be really looking at the PE ecosystem in totality and saying, okay, you're covered here. Um, I think the big thing that we see is like, it's the first time the SEC has really put a line in the sand on cyber specifically. So all public companies are going, okay, what does it really mean? And the big theme here, Anthony, is, is transparency. The SEC is basically saying, right, we, we need you to kind of open the kimono, so to speak. We want investors to have confidence, right, that you are disclosing cyber incidents quickly and transparently. Number one, there's a big 8K requirement for material cyber incident disclosure four days after a company's determined that, that a cyber incident was material opens all sorts of questions about materiality definitions in this context. And then the two other big things are, you gotta lay out your cyber risk management processes, which are like large PE firms, the kind of the, the top 20 probably have these. It's probably not gonna be super hard to put those on the 10K, but SEC is still going on to see solid end-to-end -end risk management. And then it's showing what is the board and the executive management team doing in terms of overseeing cyber risk. And that's a big change. The SEC is reaching in to like a CISO organization and saying, this can't just be buried in kind of a technology team anymore. It's gotta be treated as an enterprise risk issue and enterprise imperative. So tell us what the board and management's doing on that. And that's probably gonna have to change how companies do governance in the space. And then Kat, do you see this impacting the, the port codes as well? So yeah, I think it, I think that the companies really need to start looking down the pike too, because I, I like Gary said, those those SEC rules that are in comment are very likely to be in place in not too long of a time. And then the corollary to that is, as we mentioned earlier, there are probably a number of state laws that already apply to these companies, and if they're not complying now, they're already out of compliance with those laws. A lot of them have been around for a while, and they should have already been in compliance with them. So let's start thinking about what. Um, what they need to have. They need to have, uh, you know, something that's written down as far as their information security plan goes, that's probably already in place. But, you know, we've certainly seen, Cheek and I have certainly seen a lot of companies that don't even have that minimum level of compliance. Um, they need to understand not only their data, but what their data risk is. So some kind of risk assessment is going to be necessary in order to properly prepare for what incidents may come and what they're likely to see. Because as Gary pointed out, none of those incidents are going away and they're all going to be a present risk for every company that handles any sort of electronic data. And then finally, some sort of incident response planning, which probably includes a tabletop, some policies, um, some processes and training. The tabletops are great training. They really propel people to gain that muscle memory that's necessary to react quickly when the incident is unfolding and hopefully mitigate some of the damage that can happen. We know that those kind of incidents can go with enormous speed and, um, and result in a, a really catastrophic damage to companies, particularly on the supply chain side, where the entire supply chain can break down, which then has a ripple effect to whatever industry that supply chain is currently serving. So there's, there's a lot of risk here from both the fund perspective of lost valuation and the ability to gain trust in, in, from their um, shareholders and investors, uh, but also just in the day-to-day -day operation of the company that, that's part of that. Yeah. And I, and I think as part of that, which is what we're talking about, is somehow integrating that with the port codes, right? It's the mm -hmm. enterprise at the private equity level, but then there should be some some outreach to the port codes, whether, as Gary said, it's a message to them saying they have to do this and you should be investing in this, or more proactive management by the private equity companies, which I think is one of the things that we're going to be exploring on the podcast series that we're going to be 
rolling out over the next few weeks. So thanks everybody for joining. Like I said, look for more of these podcasts on this topic where private equity can start maximizing the value of its portfolio companies through effective management of tech and data risks. We're also going to be doing a a webinar in October, so look out for that as well. But otherwise, thanks everybody for joining and we'll see you soon. Bye. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.